So tonight, um, you're, you're going to have the opportunity to hear from um, a, a politician. Uh, he happens to be a congressman from the state of Ohio, and his name is Congressman Bob McEwen. And uh, I've done a number of events with him around the country, and he's, um, he's spoken to uh, millennials, college groups, uh, all around the country. And tonight, we've got a series of questions that a few folks put together um, and if you have any other questions that you want to ask in the course of the evening, you're welcome to do that as well. But what I'm going to do is, uh, what, we're, what we're seeking to do tonight is answer any questions you have in regards to confusion over politics. And every question is legitimate. You can ask anything you want. It doesn't matter how tough it is. Uh, Congressman McEwen loves stuff like this. And um, I'm going to have him open with just some thoughts. Anything that's on your heart tonight, Bob, you're welcome to share. And um, And so... Let me just share with you, he served uh, with a, a president, some of you may or may not remember, um, Ronald Reagan, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, he knows everybody, and everybody knows him. Um, so would you welcome with me Congressman Bob McEwen? You got to turn it on. I don't, I don't think you're on. Really? Oh, no, you are on. My bad. All right. All Thank right. you, Ron, very much. Well, why don't you open with a few words, All right. anything that's on your heart, and then we'll go from there. Why are some countries rich? Why are some countries poor? Why are some places rich? Why are some places poor? Why is it that when you go to the Rio Grande, uh, if you southern Arizona, beautiful homes, beautiful golf courses, you go right across this river, and suddenly you can't drink the water, and you're unsafe. What's the difference? Sky hadn't changed. Ground hadn't changed. What's changed is the political system has changed. And you can go in downtown Detroit and see poverty and chaos. Just start driving north, and suddenly all the houses will be nice, the streets will be nice and clear. And, on, and you can, if you look up on the signs, you can see you're changing political jurisdictions. And there's a basic principle. Number one is that the greater the taxes, the greater the poverty. That is, when people work and somebody takes it away from them, you don't want to go there. You know, if, if you're, if you, every time you go through this intersection, some crooks come out and steal your money, you make sure you don't go through that intersection anymore. And so when you go through a city which takes away all your money, then you leave. And so Detroit, when I was young, was the richest city in the world, significantly so. Now it's the poorest city in all of North America, and its population is lower than it was in 1890. Now, the reason for that is they elected people to office and said, we're going to take money from people. I'm going to give you, I'm going to take care of you, those dirty rich people down there, the General Motors and Chrysler and Ford. I'm going to, we're going to tax them and we're going to give it to you. And so people voted for that and took the richest city in the world and made it poor. That's what politics is. Politics is the form of government that a person has. It is funded by taking money from people. And the principle, the more money they take, the poorer they make people. So if you don't understand that, then some politician will come along and say, you vote for me, I'm going to pay all your college fees, I'm going to give you free tuition, I'm going to pay your room and board, and I'll give you some marijuana in the process, and just vote for me. And you see a bunch of lemmings, people just go like, just like off a cliff. Yay, Bernie! And, so it, and if, if people don't understand how it works, then that's how you can make a rich place poor. But if you also understand the same principle, you can make a poor place rich. And that's what politics is all about. So with that, give us, uh, give us an example of, uh, I, I think a, a perfect example would be Korea. You have mm-hmm. North Korea and South Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, same dirt, same air, uh, same ethnicity, same language. 
Uh, one has. When I uh, got off here this morning, there was a very beautiful car out here. It was the Hyundai Genesis, and it's um, it's a car that's made in South Korea. Now, Korea was overrun by the communists in uh, the late in 1950 and 51. The United States came to the aid of them and 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 gave them freedom and independence, and so. The, the Korean Peninsula, you know what a peninsula is, it comes out, as, and so you can't blame it on the neighbors or anything else. This is an absolute, this is a peninsula. They divided the 38th parallel. North Korea got socialism. South Korea got only 25% of the arable land, but got freedom. Now, at the point that that happened in 1953, in the armistice of 1953, there are no trees older than that because the people, it was so poor the people tore the bark off of the trees to, to boil broth just to stay alive. And in fact, South Korea was, of all the nations on earth, it was third from the bottom. So this is as poor as you can be. Now, at the same time is when Detroit is the richest city in the world. But they got freedom. North Korea didn't. And same as, as Rob said, same heritage, same culture, same climate, same language. Over the last five years, North Korea has had two and a half million people starve. Starve. Now, the first thing you do is food, then clothing, then shelter. Do food first. And the North Koreans are now shorter than they were. They walk stooped over because they eat leaves and, and twigs just to fill up their stomach. And they've starved by the hundreds of thousands, two and a half million in five years. South Korea, same everything, is the 10th richest nation on earth. And so every one of you can reach in your pocket and you have something that was made from South Korea. Then you can go home and look on your TV set and you have a a, a TV that was made in Korea and you can buy cars made from Korea. What's the difference? Politics and government is the difference. One has socialism and one has freedom. And to say I'm not involved in that or I don't understand or what that, that's very, very important that we understand how it works because people will steal it and make us poor. Now, why is why has communism adversely affected North Korea and uh, a representative form of government um, in South Korea? Why have they flourished? What, what, give, give me those principles. Well, because you have to know how wealth is created. And wealth is created when you do something good for someone else. And that is that I figure out a way to do something good for you. So if there's a car going by the building out here, there's only two ways for me to get money out of that person's pocket. Only two. One is called free enterprise. And free enterprise is where people lay awake nights figuring out ways to do something so good for them that they slam on the brakes and pull in and say, oh, you're going to clean my car, make it all nice and clean, clean the windows and wipe off the dash and, and sweep out the rug. Oh, I'd much rather have that than have this $10 bill. Or uh, I'd much rather have that pair of shoes than have this $50. A global position, you know, a GPS, I'll never get lost again. I'd much rather have that than have this $200. And so in, under free enterprise, people dream up ways to do things good for people such that they will voluntarily reach in their pocket and pay them something, and the two of them then make an exchange. And the person who made the pair of shoes or made the shoes, they are rewarded 
not because of who they are, because we don't care who they are. We don't care if they're male or female or, or tall or short or fat or black or white or anything else that, people, that, that socialists care about. We care about, did you do something good for someone? And who decides that? The customer decides. So the customer decides to reward them, and then the customer gets something in return that is more valuable to them than their money. And they are then wealthier than they were. So rather than sitting home, now they're the people that have a GPS on their car because they know how to get there. And so as, as the two people make the exchange, they have created wealth. They are wealthier than they were before. And, here, and here's the point. That is the only way that wealth is created. That's the only way wealth is created in that free exchange. Let's do it again. Let's hit it again. Let's suppose that you're a, a farmer and he has a pile of wheat. And can, I, can I be the farmer? Or you be the farmer and with a pile baker. of wheat. You and I'm, wh- I'm a baker and I got uh, 10 empty ovens. And, and, and the farmer <laughs> says, you know, I can't do anything with this wheat. But if I had that baker's money, boy, I'd, I'd be much better off. And the baker says, I can't do anything with empty ovens. If I had his wheat, I could make it into donuts in the morning and sell it to everybody on the way to work. And so the two of them come together and they make an exchange. Which at the end of the exchange, the farmer says, boy, if I had his money, I could buy a new tractor. You know, I could farm another, another field. And at the end of the exchange, they are wealthier than they were before. They have created wealth. Do you understand that? So as they have created wealth, then the farmer says, now, you know what I can do with this money? I can hire somebody else and do another 40 acres over here because then I can get even more wheat. And so as he generates, as he creates wealth, he then can create jobs. And so people under free enterprise figure out ways, and the customer is the boss, not some government planning board. The customer is supreme, and the customer says whether or not those donuts are any good or, or whether or not. And, and you, can be, you can be Montgomery Ward, the largest corporation in the history of the world at the turn of the century in 1900, and it disappears when it doesn't satisfy people. Or Oldsmobile or whatever. You have every day in business, you've got to keep the customer happy because if they don't reward you and they don't make an exchange, you flat go out of business. So you lay awake nights. That's why we admire business people. They figure out ways to do good things for people. In America... We don't steal from them. We keep our taxes low. California, highest in the country, but nevertheless. As, as we allow people to do that, 4% of the population of the world are called Americans. And yet every year they write more books, more plays, more symphonies, more copyrights. That's movies and plays and music. More copyrights and inventions than the other 96% combined. So for thousands of years, people would hope to someday fly Americans from Dayton, Ohio, invented the airplane. And just down the street from them lived William Patterson, who had a restaurant, and when people would get into the till, the money would disappear, and so he decided to put a bell on the cash register that when you opened it, the bell would ring, and he'd look over to see who got in the till. And and his neighbor said, I like that too. Let's give me one of those as well. And so he invented the National Cash Register, NCR Corporation, who made made these cash registers that made noise. And so people figured out ways to do things. Americans invented the light bulb, the telegraph, the telephone, the global positioning system, the internet, did all these things. Why? Look at the rest of the people. Everybody in the world uses Twitter. Americans invented Twitter. They use Facebook. Americans invented Facebook. This 4% does the, the rest of the world as it creates wealth. Now, I said there are two ways to get something out of that car going by, right? One of them is free enterprise where you have a free exchange. 
And by the way, if when you figure out how to do this, and the more you do it, the greater the contribution, the greater the reward. So if I'm in the business of making coffee, if I do five cups of coffee, I get one, one reward. If I get 500 cups of coffee, if I do 5,000 cups of coffee, if I do 50,000 cups of coffee, the more people I bless, the more I'm rewarded. And so when we see wealthy people, what does that mean? That means they've blessed more people than the rest of us. It's just a matter of very simply. Now, I said there are two ways to get money out of, the, out of his pocket. The other one is, I just go up and take it. I just flat steal it. Now, the guy stops at the stoplight, and I come over, put a gun in the, in the window, and say, I want 50% of all the money in your purse. Now, you hear these politicians talk about the redistribution of wealth. It's terrible the way wealth is distributed in this country. <laughs> Wealth is not distributed. Wealth is created. And it makes just as much sense for us to drive out through Iowa. You can drive mile after mile in Iowa, and you see nothing but corn on either side until you go to the border, and finally you get into Nebraska. And in Nebraska, you go mile after, all you see is wheat on either side. Wheat, mile after, until finally you cross the border into Colorado. And in Colorado, you see cattle, but you don't see any more wheat because the ground is bad. And so you see the, the cattle there. And now, if you were a politician, a stupid left-wing liberal politician, you'd say things like this. You'd say, it is just really terrible the way corn is distributed in this country. And, and it's really horrible the way that wheat is distributed in this country. Here you have Nebraska has all of that wheat. And here in Colorado, they don't have any wheat. And, and what we need to do is uh, this distribution of wheat is so unfair. We need to take that wheat. And, 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 and you've, you've heard Hillary talk. You know, we're going to take it from those people that have all that wheat. They don't need all that wheat. We're going to take that wheat and give it to these people in, in Colorado that don't have any wheat. Well, what's going to happen? The guy in, in, in Nebraska is going to say, why should I raise wheat if you're going to steal it? And the guy in Colorado says, why should I work if you're going to give me wheat? But if you don't give him any wheat, what does he do? He figures out how to raise cattle. And he raises cattle, and he'll trade his cattle for some corn, and, 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 and vice versa, and they all benefit one another. But in our example of creating wealth, we're going to go stick our gun in, and we're going to take half of the money in her purse. Question number one, has wealth been redistributed? Yep, from her purse to me, number one. Number two, has wealth been created? Nope. The degree to which I benefit by taking it is the degree to which she's diminished. So therefore, there is no creation of wealth. Number three, if a criminal comes up, puts a gun in the window and takes half the money, can a criminal create a job? No, because there's no wealth has been created. He just he stole it, and so, and, and so there, there is no increased value in which to hire someone. So can a criminal create a job? No. Let's don't call him criminals. Let's call him a city councilman. Let's call, him a, let's call him a congressman. Let's call him a, a Detroit city councilman. And you come up and you stop at the stop, and the city councilman comes along and says, you had the audacity to try to do business in my town. I want 50% of everything that you make. Question number one. Has any wealth been created by taking that money? No. Has wealth been redistributed? Yeah, yeah, from the producer to the, to the non-producer. Since it didn't create any wealth, can a politician create a job? No. A politician is impossible to create jobs. Why? Because a politician has nothing. He doesn't first steal from someone else. 
Now, the only way that the fellow running the, running the yogurt stand can get money is he, he has a good product that people stop voluntarily and give it to him, and they're better off. But he hasn't taken from them. They've voluntarily given it, and he's given it a, a superior value. And if you, he doesn't think so, he doesn't buy it. That's why you and I walk by. Nobody can make that decision as well as you can, so you decide what you want. Some people want one thing. Other people don't want others. The marketplace, free enterprise, figures out ways to make the most people happy. Socialism, government decides what you're going to have, what color, what size, and how much you're going to pay for it. And then they just take it, and that's what Obamacare is. Obamacare says that you're going to pay for abortions, whether you like them or not. If you're 70 years old, you're going to have to pay for prenatal care. That is, if you're pregnant, you're going to have to take care, of, uh, pay for this under, under the Obamacare. And they're going to tell you how much it's going, to, it's going to be. And if you don't pay it, they'll come and take it. The IRS will come and take it out of your, out of your checkbook. And if you don't voluntarily pay it, they'll also, when they take it, they'll also fine you for doing so. That's called socialism. You have lost your choices. You have lost your freedom. Closing our observation on this. Freedom is having choices. Very simple. Your parents tell you when to get up, when to go to bed, and how far you can go. And they can, they, you do not have freedom. As you get older, they give you more and more freedom, which means you have more and more choices that you can make. Socialism is government making decisions for you. You have fewer choices. You have less freedom. And the principle is, the greater the freedom, the greater the wealth. The greater the government, the greater the poverty. And it only works this way every time. So you show me what percentage of the wealth of a nation called the GDP, the gross domestic product, the gross domestic product of a city or a state or a nation is how much goods and services, if you took up how much money the, 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 the barber makes and how much the, the car dealer makes and how much the manufacturer makes, you put all that together, the GDP of the city or the state, you show me what percentage of that GDP is taken by government. And the principle is that the greater the government, the greater the poverty. And that's all politics is. Politics is where you go on that chart back and forth. California, 10 years ago, 2006, was the fifth largest economy in the world, larger than France. We have elected a series of folks in, in Sacramento that are massively, massively incompetent. They have prided themselves on what they can take from people, such, such that the gross domestic product of California has gone from number five to number six to number seven. It's now number eight. It is spiraling downward and doing permanent harm as people are fleeing the state to go to other places where they're not attacked so much. One of them is a good friend of mine whose father was the first president of Hewlett Packard. He went to he went to Stanford with Hewlett and Packard, and when they formed their company, he was the first president. Now, this is his son. He's a very good friend of ours. And he, he just loves California. I mean, he, just, he is a Californian to his toes. And all of his friends began to escape California because the taxes were so high. And he finally conceded last year that he, he has left and gone, gone to Texas. And he hated it, didn't want to. But as, you, as they attack people for producing wealth, then they, they stop producing it. You take it away from the farmer producing the wheat, he doesn't make any more wheat. And everybody becomes, 
And this is, goes on over and over. It's why you made Detroit poor. That's why it's made New York poor. That's why it's making California poor. If you, if you don't like poverty, if you care about people not being able to find jobs and not be able to pay their bills and have a place to live, then you've got to quit electing people that promise to give you stuff because the people who promise to give you stuff are thieves and they make everybody poorer. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, in California, we're paying close to $3 a gallon for gas. And I was just in South Carolina, and it was a little over a dollar a gallon for gas. Why is it so much more expensive in California? Because people in Sacramento feel that they're entitled to your money. And, and they, but so the, di- the difference be- in price is tax? It certainly is. Uh, politicians are sophisticated. They don't just come up and take the money straight out. They, they tax businesses, and businesses don't have any money. They don't print money. Businesses only have money that they got from a product that they sold. Now, if they have to pay more money to the government, they have to increase the price of the product. I mean, this isn't complicated. So they say, we're going to tax those oil companies. We'll make those oil companies pay an extra dollar a gallon. Yeah, yeah. And a bunch of idiots will stand up, and, and when, when, when Hillary says that, they'll, yeah, yeah, that really sounds great. Oil companies don't have any money. They only get it when they, when they sell something, they have to collect it. Oil companies collect money. So every time you and I go to the, to the gas t- station in California, we pay an extra two bucks for the folks in Sacramento to have to spend, and they force the oil companies to pay for it. They have, they're the ones that have to collect it, but you're the one that has to pay it. Final point, remember this. Corporations are pieces of paper. Next time you hear some left-winger talk about those corporations, make those corporations pay. The corporations in America, yeah, those corporations. Corporation is paper. It doesn't walk, talk, or pay taxes. Only people pay taxes. And a corporation is a handful of people that get together to accomplish something. So if I'm going to go mow the lawn, that means I can go do that. But if three or four of us get together and we form a corporation to mow the lawn, one guy can stay back and call for customers. Another one can go out and repair their lawnmowers and, and collect the money so at the end of the day they can refill it. Another one can go out and do the work. They're, they're just people. Corporations are just people. They're not anything spectacular. So when a person says, we're going to make those corporations pay, corporations only have money that they take from you and me voluntarily. And if they... They tax, and when you tax something, you get less of that thing. If you tax anything, you tax, you get less of it. And if you tax savings, you'll get less savings, or productivity, or work, you'll get less. When you subsidize something, when you pay people to do it, they'll do more of it. So in America, the reason we're the richest, most powerful nation on earth, we did less taxes, less government oppression than any place else. But as we elect people that upset that, then places places like Estonia, in other words, say. Let's do it like the Americans used to do it. And so they begin to prosper, and we begin to stumble. And over the last eight years, under this president, we have not created any new jobs. In fact, the number of people the, of people going to work tomorrow morning, Monday morning, tomorrow, the number of people that will get up and go to work tomorrow morning will be the lowest number of people since 1978. He has wiped out 30 years of progress. And how do they do it? Why would people vote to do this, such a thing? Well, because well, we want to help you. We want to give you health care. We want to pay for your books and pay for your school. Take care of grandma. And if you don't understand what they're saying, 
and you vote for it, you end up where we are. And you need to understand that you promised me something, Mr. Politician, I know full well you don't have it. You're going to steal it from somebody, chances are it's going to be me. Well, if, if government is evil in the sense that uh, they, they, they take our money, what role does government play? Why do we have government? Well, Abraham Lincoln said it very simply. He said, government should do only those things which a man cannot do better for himself. And there's some things we can't do. We can't build roads. So collectively, we join together, and we, we build a road. And we can't defend ourselves. So collectively, we got together, and we get a national defense force. So the things that we can't do for ourselves, we could, that's what government is for. Do you, do you have the preamble of the Constitution memorized? I did have. We can find out if we do. Well, let's give it a shot. We the people of the United States, in order to, in form, order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, promote the general welfare, secure, uh, provide for the common defense, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to solemnly establish and ordain this, ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. So in the I preamble is a list of what government's supposed to do. Is that correct? P- provide for the common defense. Promote the general welfare. That means you maintain a dollar. Uh, you and I can't, we can't all print our own money. So you have to have a, a unit of exchange. And remember what, what money is. Money is a representation of a contribution that I've made to someone else. It's just, it, it doesn't have any intrinsic value in and of itself. For example, we will show something here. Could I borrow some of there are, Well, Now, how, how often would this happen? Okay, here, here, here's one and here's five. Okay, so these are both exactly way the same. But you have faith. You, you have faith, spiritual value, and faith in this dollar being five times worth what, what, what this is. And this represents something that I've done for someone else. So if, a, if you see a f- five-year-old walking down the street with $1,000 in her hand, you're going to know something's up because you get rewarded for what you do for others. And how does that work? So you walk into the shoe store, and you see these really nice pair of shoes. And you say, I'd like to have that pair of shoes. And, and basically the, the shoe store manager says, here's what, here's what he says. What have you ever done for anybody that would entitle you to have those shoes? Now, he doesn't use those words. He says these shoes are worth $80. But he said, but what have you ever done? And you say, well, I have this. What is this? This is a $20 bill. What is that? I'm ahead of myself. You say, well, I, I I mowed Widow Johnson's yard. And therefore, I'm entitled to have these shoes. He says, how do I know you mowed Widow Johnson's yard? He said, well, I have, I have this. What is that? It's a $20 bill. It is a representation of a contribution that I made to someone else. So money is a way of keeping track. So as I have helped Widow Johnson, I now have $20. I said, I want these pair of shoes. He said, you can mow her lawn in an hour. It takes four hours to make these pair of shoes. These shoes are worth $80. You go back and make a greater contribution. You mow her lawn four times. You got 80 bucks. Then you come and you'll be entitled. So what is money? Money is a way of keeping score of the contribution that we've made to other people. So when you see someone with a lot of money, do we hate them and throw rocks at them and spit on them and care about them and make names? No, only if you're running for president in the Democrat Party. But if, if you're not doing that, you understand that we honor people that do that because the greater the contribution, the greater the reward. Now, who be, when I was in college, we had computers, and computers were on cards, and, and you had to punch out these cards and do things. 
And uh, when I went to Congress, it was right at the turn of the time when computers were just coming into use and people were frightened of them. They, they, didn't, they didn't want letters that were written by computers. People, you, people always talk about those terrible computer letters because you had letters that were typed. You could tell they're individually typed, but if you got a computer letter, then that... You, now, you've never seen the other kind, so you think this is pretty silly, and it was. But what we did was that we had the first office that had a computer program that you could type in a person's name, and it would type the letter out. But in order to do that, it was all on DOS. You had to log in. You had to put your name and backslash and, and colon and all this kind of stuff, and it was very hard to get into. And I had it taped to my desk in order to do it, and you did, if you did it wrong, you had to go back and do it over again. And so not very many people could use computers. And a fellow dropped out of Harvard, and he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make it such that I'll make a little icon. And, and you take all of that stuff and put it on the icon. And when you click on the icon, it'll do that perfectly every time. And we'll call it Windows. And you just click on the window, and boy, it'll do it every time. And suddenly computers went from nerds with lots of cards and, and, and sophisticated to where little two-year-olds could sit and click on it and do all this kind of thing and totally change the world. What was the principle? The greater the contribution, the greater the reward. Absolutely made everything so much simpler, so much easier to track, so much easier to keep control of, made such a, a tremendous impact on the world that changed the world and became what? The richest man on the planet. Why? Because he was left-handed or right-handed or five feet tall or six feet tall or male or female? No, because of what he was able to do for others. The principle, the greater the contribution, the greater the reward. That's why you and I do not dis- speak disrespectfully of successful people, rich people. Now, if you want, if you, in the Bible, it says about people that you should have in government. Exodus either 18.21 or 21.18. I think it's 18.21. In which God told Moses who to choose to run the government. He said, those who fear God, that means there has to be a standard, not what you think is right, but what God says, fear God, lovers of truth, and hate covetousness. Now, if you're going to mention all the things that they're going to talk about, interesting that this is one thing he mentions, hating covetousness. You know what covetousness is? When I covenant something... I want what somebody else has. I, it, 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 when a person is, is covetous, he covets what another person has. In America, we never coveted. In fact, America is different from the rest of the world in that regard. When we travel around the world, people often want to come up and say, I've been to America, I've been to America. Like, you know, if I'm from Ohio, and there'll be people here who come up, you know, I'm, I'm from Ohio, I've been to Ohio. And so Liz would figure out ways to maintain conversation with people like that. And so she said, I've been to America. She, said, she would say, well, what about America startled you or surprised you? Or, or what was the most impressive thing about America? The answer that comes back more than anything else is this. He said, in America, you don't have walls around your property. Now, you've got more of them here than the rest of the country. But in most of the country, you don't have walls around. He said, you don't know where your yard starts and uh, stops and where your neighbor starts. Why? In the rest of the world, they have walls. You go to Mexico, they not only have walls, they have glass over top of the walls. and All, all the rest of the world has walls around their property. Why? Because in America, we never wanted to take what they had. One of my best friends is the attorney general in Costa Rica. 
We were going out to eat not that long ago. Liz and Rosie went into the restaurant. We're standing there, and Juan Edgar were just talking and talking and talking. And we came to the restaurant to eat, Juan Edgar, don't you think? No, just a minute, just a minute. So we kept talking and talking until finally a person came up. He gave him some money, and we went into the restaurant to eat. He paid a person to watch his car while we were in the restaurant. Why? Because they coveted his car. In America, we didn't grow up saying, I want to take that guy's car. I want to take that guy's house. In America, we grew up saying, someday I want to have a house like that. Someday I want to have a car like that. And, and so God said, when you choose people to rule government, the haters of covetousness. That's something he really despised. Now, if I'm running for president and I stand up here and I say, I'm going to see those rich people. I'm going to pay your tuition bill with their money, and I'm going to pay their, and I'm going to give your marijuana from it. No, that is simply, from the beginning of time, what God said. Don't put those people in power, because He knew what it did. It made everybody worse off. Now you, you speak of Democrats doing that, but don't we find that in the Republican Party as well? Well, we we usually send them back to the Democrat Party when we do it. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I have this a couple of questions here some folks put down. Um, th- this is an interesting one. And then if you have any questions in a little bit, we can ask you to uh, share them. This one is, what is a biblical response to the Syrian refugee situation? Because we hear a number of folks saying that biblically we're to take care of the refugee and the orphan. Uh, what, what? I mean, we know that there's a, a political concern because of, of uh, Muslim terrorists and what we're facing in this country, and, and we're watching all these refugees flood into Europe. We're watching these refugees come into the United States. What is a biblical response that would be politically wise? Uh, can you shed some light on that for us? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> something that's... that's uh, there are three sources institutions that are created in the scriptures. One is the family, one is the church, and one is government. And it's important to understand whose responsibilities are where. And for example, helping the poor, two-thirds of the time it talks about helping the poor, it talks about you and me. A third of the time it talks about the church. There's no example in government at all about the stranger in our midst of the government doing that. We're supposed to do that, the church is supposed to do that. Abroad, that's what government is for. And government is to do things collectively for us that we cannot do for ourselves. So if we want to help the people, the tsunami victims in, in Indonesia, we can't all leave our jobs and leave our children and, and, go, and go help them. And so we collectively offer through government our willingness to help. And that's what America is known for. Um, there are those Muslims who are committed to changing America. America is is founded on a Judeo-Christian form of government. They have have a contempt for Christians and Jews. Therefore, our government and their ideas don't work. So they live in poverty. There's no doubt about it. I mentioned this morning that of the 26 Arab Muslim countries in the Middle East, of a population of nearly a billion people, they don't, because of their socialist system, private ownership of property, they don't make a single hairdryer or an automobile or a, or a TV set or anything else. The, the poverty is so great that all they have is the oil that comes out of the ground and the, the gross domestic product of those 26 countries 
is less than half as large as the state of California. So you've got a billion people producing less than half of California. So if those people want that system that creates poverty, who do not have a respect for life that comes with a Judeo-Christian value system, if you mix them here, obviously the system is not going to work. You say, yeah, but they live in poverty. You betcha they do. <laughs> Wherever they go, they do that. If they bring that here, well, well, this place will be in poverty. So if you want to help them, then there's ways for us to, to send money or aid or supplies or food or anything to help them. Uh, just as if there are plenty of people in the neighborhood here who need help, and that's what the church does. The church helps them. But uh, you, don't, you don't bring every person into your house and let all 5,000 people in, that, are, that are in need of help in Thousand Oaks sit at your table for breakfast. You band together to, to help them. And America can help the, the Syrians without bringing them here when they don't want to come here. That's people, only people should come to America that want to become American. If you don't want to be an American, you don't need to be here. And they want to come to change America. Well, just enjoy where you are if you like that, if that's so great. Don't, we, like, we like it this way. <laughs> What's the difference between the parties, Democrat and Republican? The, the Republican Party believes on a free enterprise system. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't do things for people based upon their skin color or their gender or anything else. They, want to, they believe that government should treat everybody equally. The Democrat Party believes in groups. And so you, listen, you can listen to either one of them. You don't have to know whether they're Republican or Democrat. You can listen to them for 60 seconds. You can tell their values. And, and so these people always speak about women or gays or Hispanics or blacks, and they talk about rights for those people. There is no such thing as an Hispanic right. There's no such thing as a woman's right. There's no such thing as a gay right. There's no such thing as a blonde left-handed right. There's only rights for people. And the Democrats are work in groups and pit groups against groups and make villains. Republicans want everybody to prosper equally. And so uh, the leaders of these groups, as they lead their groups in the Democrats, they'll say, Republicans don't do anything for, for African Americans. My response to that is, they don't do anything for anybody. <laughs> you're not entitled to something just because of how percentage of melanin you have in your skin. You're entitled to the same principle because God made you. And in the sight of God, you're equal in God's sight, not because of your gender or your race or your ethnicity or your language or anything else, but because you're equal in the sight of God. And Republicans tend to be more that. And just as an aside, understand what a democracy is. A pure democracy believes that rights come from the majority. And so our founders were deathly afraid of that. So the word democracy does not appear in any of our founding documents. In the Constitution, it says, every state shall be guaranteed a republican form of government. So a republic is where government can do only a certain number of things. In a democracy, you can vote to, let's kill Jews, or... Our daughter spent a year in Rwanda. 80% of the people in Rwanda are Hutu, 20% are Tutsi. And so the 80% voted to kill the 20%, and over a course of 90 days with machetes, they chopped a million people into pieces. That is what a democracy is. In America, you can vote 99 to 1 to kill Jews, and you can't do it. Why? Because in America, the purpose of government, we hold these truths, 
truth means something that's unquestionable. We hold these truths to be self-evident, which is a gracious way of saying any idiot ought to understand this. This is self-evident, bozo, that all men are created. They didn't just fall off a log one day and crawl, crawl out of the primordial slime and say, let's write a symphony. No, they were all created equal and were endowed by a five to four decision of the Supreme Court. We're endowed by a majority vote of the Congress. We're endowed by a Proposition 187 in California. No, no. They're endowed by their creator. No other nation on earth. Rights come from God. Endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That is, you can't deny them. And among those are life. Now, we talk difference between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats will say, no, I don't want a woman, I don't want government involved in the bedroom and it's between a woman and her doctor. No, 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 no. That's democracy. In a republic, the life, liberty, notice the sequence, liberty is a precious little value if you're dead. You have to have life first, then liberty, then the right to pursue happiness. And the next sentence, and that, here it is, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So what is the purpose of government? The purpose of government in America is to preserve life. So, Miss Liberal City Councilwoman, state delegate, telling me I don't want government involved. I want to be able to decide if I want to kill a baby at whatever month. I don't want the government involved. You're in the wrong country, honey. Because in America, the purpose of the government is to protect life. You go to any other country on earth, you can take life. Not in America. Preserve life, liberty. That's what government, that's what a republic is about. In a democracy, I can vote to, to do that. And uh, Democrats tend to be more in favor of a democracy. And they will say things like, if he makes a certain amount of money, we ought to vote to take his money away from him. Republicans don't like that kind of talk. They think everybody should be treated equal. And, if you're, and once you become aware of it, it's just like once you know what the jersey is for a Rams or a Packer, and you see a person walking in a jersey, you say, he's wearing a Packers jersey. You can just see it. How do you know that? Well, I know that yellow and green is Packers. And say, oh, well, once you understand this, you listen to a politician for 60 seconds. You say, oh, I know, I know which one you are, because they believe that they can vote to take things from people, and, they're, and, they're, and they get power from the group, so they're always alienating and making villains that we can, because when you steal from people, you don't like to steal from good people. So you want to make them bad people. And so if they had the audacity to invent that app, and again, why do we do these things? When a person makes an app, and uh, my son told me about the one that that you could just put in here and it has every airport, and you put in the flights that you're on, and when you land at the airport, they'll show you what gate you're coming in, what gate you're going out, which is a nice little thing. You know, if, while you're sitting there, you figure out how much time it's going to take to go around. and say, how much does that cost? Ask my son how much it costs, 99 cents. Okay, is that worth 99 cents to me to have that on my phone for the next three years? Yep. Why did that person make that app? Because they really didn't like me getting lost all the time in, in Atlanta in the airport? Nope, didn't give a whit. They hoped that a million people would download their app and they'd become a millionaire. And again, do I care if it's a left-handed female from San Francisco or a right-handed African-American from Miami? I don't care at all. All I care is, does it work? And when the person, the more people figure out ways to do nice things for people, they become successful. And if they're allowed to keep the reward, they'll do more of it. But when socialists come in and steal it from them, they say, 
What's the point of that? I won't do it. I'm wearing out one more example. The, the finance minister from India, this is a while back, came to our house, and I was going through this, and he was explaining how socialism, because he'd gone to the college, and colleges explained socialism is really, really good. And, uh, and at that point, the taxes in India were 95% on all income over $5,000 a year, which means that if you went to work government, and you earned a dollar, government would take 95 cents, and you kept a nickel. And so you go to any major, you go to any town in India, and you, all the men are sitting around under the banyan tree playing mahjong all day. Why should they go to work? If they went to work, government would take it. And I explained to them, I said, if you will lower the taxes and let people keep one, the country can explode. Well, as they've done that, India's become, begin to come to life, and that's what it's all about. There's a, there's a question here. It says, um, isn't voting... <clears throat> based on my Christian beliefs, imposing my faith on others who don't believe it? Not if there's freedom. Uh, you're not imposing anything on anybody. Uh, the purpose of, of freedom is to allow you to, 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 to be able to accomplish all that God intended you to accomplish. Under socialism, government would tell you what to do. So if you vote your spiritual values to not oppress people, you're doing exactly the opposite. When you vote your spiritual values, you're voting for freedom and opportunity, which means you're taking the, the burden and oppression of government off of their, off of their backs. And, 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 and people that respect God do that. You take God away, man without God always ends up killing. And so man always is oppressive the further he gets from God. And just as a little aside, that's not original with me. There's a term for that. It's called sin. Sin is anything that separates us from God. And the further away you get from God, sin, when it is conceived, that is, once it's done, it bringeth forth, it brings forth death. The wages of sin, when you work all day and you get paid off, the wages of sin is death. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What are the ways of death? Abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, right to die legislation, drug addiction, alcoholism, divorce, death, death, death. Man without God leads to death. But I am come that you might have life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He that hath the Son hath life. And so it is a life and death struggle. Our founders understood it, so therefore they said, we're going to be on this side, that our rights come from God. And every Times the, the the legislature meets, it must first acknowledge God before they do it. You must begin with prayer. You have a position of public trust, you must swear allegiance on the Bible. Every official document must, must say, "Done in this the year of our Lord." Because if we if we stray from that and we go over to this side doing what man wants to, man will end up killing and destroying. And America is known for preserving life. People know if they could, every Jew knew they could be chased from all over the world. He could just get under the can, protection of the American flag, he would be safe. And one party is constantly was a party of slavery and now it's the party of death. And that's what politics is decided. So when you go for godly values, are you imposing? No, no, you're protecting. Without God, that's when imposition is going to come. Why don't more Christians participate in government? I don't know that, except for the fact that, that they seem to think that, that because God... The, the principle of deism is that there was a God and he spun the world off in the universe and now he just sits back and watches. And uh, there's nothing anybody can do about it. 
and and so uh, we don't believe that. We we believe that God is intimately involved in our lives, that he knows us, he knows who we are. Scripture says he knows the number of hairs on our head, which is a different number today than it was yesterday. So he knows he knows all about us, and therefore uh, we believe that we should be involved. But Christians sometimes can get snookered into believing that uh, they just leave it all up to him. Well, uh, if you do that with anything, you leave your yard up to him, or you leave the house up to him, you leave your car up to him, it's going to break down and fall apart. Government will do the same thing. We're going to give account. We're held to be accountable for what, what's been entrusted to us. We've got uh, just a few minutes left. Do you guys have any questions you want to ask? Yes. Good question. Very good question. And the explanation for it is that every decision is made from two sources, either your head or your heart. And it's a spectrum, and you decide on that spectrum where you are, such that would you buy a dozen roses? Well, my head says no, but it's Valentine's Day, so... I say, yeah. And so every decision is a part of that. And I know Bob. He's tighter than a tambourine. So. <laughs> so if I can appeal to your heart, it will always sound good. And so I'll, I'll use the example I used before. That is, if, if a fellow here is making $100, now remember how he got the $100. People had to give it to him for doing good things for people. And there's a guy sitting here on a park bench doing nothing. And this guy's making $100, and you can live comfortably with $50 a day. This guy's making twice as much, and this poor guy has nothing. So a politician comes along, and you say, you know, you vote for me. I'll take $50 from him and give it to you. And that sounds great, especially if you're a college campus. Yeah, yeah, everybody have $50. You don't need twice that much. And it works wonderful the first week. And then this guy said, well, 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 let me get this straight. I get up every morning. I fight to work. I spend all day. I come home tired and worn out. I get 50 bucks. This guy sleeps in until noon, sits on the park bench, and gets paid 50. I think I like his program better. And so he doesn't produce. So when the socialists took over in Chile, and they said everybody's going to be paid the same, productivity in the copper mines fell 73% in the first 30 days. Just began to collapse. So the idea might sound good, you can say it's socially just to care for this person. But remember, I can't do anything. I don't first steal from someone else. And when I steal from him, that's not noble. That's corrupt. And me hiring someone to do it instead of me doing it doesn't make it any more just. So when I collectively get together and hire a politician to go steal from that guy so that I can be better off, that's just as evil as if I stole it myself. And therefore, we have to understand what creates wealth, where wealth comes from. And when a person doesn't have a job, we have to encourage the creation of jobs, not attack those people that are doing it. Neil, and, uh, Neil Mammon uh, did a statistic, a study, and it was fascinating. He said, for every dollar the government spends on social welfare, so for every dollar that the government spends on social welfare, 26 cents goes to the needy, and the remainder goes to overhead. When the church spends a dollar towards social welfare. 84 cents of every dollar goes to the needy, and the remainder goes to overhead. So if you really, truly have a love for the poor, the last thing you're going to want to do is have the government do that. 
You see, it was, it was in F, uh, FDR um, during the Great Depression. It used to be the church was a social welfare unit. But after the collapse of the economy, they abdicated the responsibility, and the government took over this idea of social welfare when it used to be the churches. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, so we abdicate to the government. And it's easier for the government because the government, first, second party, and third party purchases is a great description of that. You want to elaborate? All right. And and this is... We have four minutes. Hang in there. This is why this doesn't work. If you're going to buy something for yourself, you care about two things. You care about the price, and you care about the quality. And nobody can make that decision as well as you can. So you stand there, you might pay $4 for a cup of coffee at 7 in the morning, for which you wouldn't pay 50 cents at 2.30 in the afternoon. When it's your money, for yourself, you care about it, you watch it very carefully. That's called a first-party purchase, number one. Number two, a second-party purchase is when one of those things is not controlled by you. So let us suppose you're going to buy something for someone else, but you're not going to consume it. You care about the price? Yes, because you're paying for it. <laughs> a little more flexible on the quality, you know. Ah, the, by the time it breaks, they'll be married for four years. They'll forget who gave it to them anyway. This will be fine. <laughs> We've all bought things for people we never would have bought for ourselves. We've all received things as gifts we never bought. Do we care about the price? Yes, because we're paying for it, but we're not as concerned about the quality. Now, let's flip that around. Let's suppose we're going to consume it, but we're not going to pay for it. Do we care about the quality? Yes, because we're consuming it. So the waitress comes by and says, would you like to have some orange juice? And you say, well, how much is it? And she says, well, it's $3 a glass. Not really. I don't, I don't need any. Oh, you got the pancakes. Well, it comes free with the pancakes. Well, in that case, I'll take three glasses. Pour away. You, know, you might leave half a glass. You wouldn't leave half a glass if you were paying for it. Do you care about the quality? Yes, because you're consuming it. Do you care about the price? Nope, because you're not paying for it. That's called a second-party purchase. Final example. Let us suppose that where you work, everybody that comes to work late has to put $5 in the kitty at the end of the month. They put all the money and they, they buy something with it and raffle it off. And it's the last day of the month and the boss says, John, uh, count how much money's in, in the kitty there and buy something with it. And so you go over and you count out, there's $150 and you go to lunch or coming back and think, oh my goodness, I forgot. What am I going to do? I got 150 bucks. I got to buy something. And you look over and there in the store window is a six foot tall stuffed frog. And you go over and you check the price of the frog, $149. Oh, this is great. So you buy the frog and you come over and you shove it in the closet. At the end of the day, the boss invites everybody down and lectures to him about everybody being late. And everybody draws a number to see who wins, who wins. Sally, the new secretary, wins. What did she get? Open up the door, six-foot-tall frog. Oh, this is so wonderful. And so everybody claps and cheers. They go over and they shove it into the front seat. And you see her driving off there, the big frog in the front front seat. And everybody's laughing. What is that? That is called a third-party purchase. A third-party purchase is purchasing something with money that's not yours, therefore you don't care about the price. To purchase something you do not personally consume, therefore you don't care about quality. Now, in public speaking, they tell you when you're going to say something profound, you're supposed to pause for emphasis. So I'm now going to pause for emphasis. Because what I'm about to say is not Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, Christian, Democrat, Labor Party. This is just the facts, Jack. All government purchases are third-party purchases made with money that's not theirs to purchase things that were not personally consumed. Therefore, will there be waste in the highway department? You betcha. Will there be waste in the defense department? You can count on it. 
That's why we believe, as Abraham Lincoln said, the government should do only those things which a man cannot do better for himself. Why? Because every time we take a dollar from an individual to save and invest and use to the maximum benefit of themselves and their family and run it through a third-party system called government, we're in the process of making the nation poorer. And you show me what percentage of the GDP of any city, any state, any nation is third-party. You show me the size of the government, and the principle applies. The greater the government the greater the poverty, the greater the freedom, the greater the wealth. Uh, I I got here at 8.30 this morning. Two guys were out there, uh, and I saw them walk all the way down Lawrence and uh, carrying backpacks. One guy had a beer. They were both smoking. They got to church. Seen him before. One guy's name was Paul. Went up and greeted him. He was shaking. He just, you know, he'd shared with John Mink, the worship leader. He goes, man, I... I, I just got to tell you, I, I'm at church, but uh, I had the best, you know, I smoked the best stuff last night. And I'm on cloud nine. And he's holding his beer and he's smoking a cigarette. And he came in and he had been at the hospital and he had a uh, bandage on his arm, blood drawn. He had the bracelet. Obviously, he'd had a rough night. I mean, he was, he was wiped out. So was his buddy. And they struggled through the service. Now, for us to invest in his, his life, we have to engage with him. We have to know his struggles. We've got to walk through his addiction. We've got to get him connected with a program. We have to invest our life, struggle, suffer with him, endure. He had troubles through the service. This is, this is us engaging in his life, and, it, and compassion costs us something. Government is an inanimate object. They don't care about the person they're helping. They're just a pass-through. Your money, and they, it's a third-party purchase. There's no investment in heart. There's no investment in their soul. There's no in, in, in connection. We waste the opportunity to minister to people when we allow government to do for us what the church should be doing itself. So that's another thought to... Excellent. I don't know. This is for millennials. All right, what? You want me to do it? Yeah. All right. Uh, a, uh, a private union, uh, when, when Bob gave the illustration of a farmer and a baker... And, and as you know, for two for wealth to be created, two parties have to benefit, right? So, so with the the cost of the marketplace, they have an increase, and so he's able to hire um, more bakers and more ovens, and I hire more laborers, more farmers, and more fields, because we've created wealth. Now, the the folks that are helping him bake and the folks that are helping me farm help create that wealth. So they come together and they say, we want a larger portion or a greater portion of the wealth we also helped you create. Now, granted, you've taken the greatest uh, risk, so you get the greater reward, but we, we feel as though we deserve a greater portion of that. And so they come together, and their skill set is such that we have to bargain with them as the owners of that company. And that's fair because they help create the wealth. When you have a government union, again, government doesn't create wealth. It just distributes it. And, and basically, so you, you have a government union, and what happens is they want a greater portion of the pie, but they didn't create any wealth. And so they then take that money, and they elect government officials who sit at the table with their agents that bargain for their union, and they increase their salaries, which are government-paid. And so now we have unfunded pension liabilities. We have all kinds of issues with our government employees. If, if you are a computer programmer and you work in private industry and I'm a computer programmer and I work for the government, I make 30% more than you do because I'm in control of my union and I'm taking the, gov- or the, the people's money. And this is what causes an, uh, a nation to be poor because 
they're not creating anything and they're getting paid more to do that. And so that's the difference between a public and a private union. Uh, I, I think well, we, you can ask your question privately with a, with a congressman. We're gonna, it's 8.04 and I don't want to keep everybody longer. Um, you guys good with this? You're going to be on the radio, so listen in. Uh, we're probably going to broadcast it, I don't know, maybe uh, Friday. We'll see if we can get it out that, that soon. But would you thank Congressman McCune for coming and joining us tonight? Let me close with prayer. Thank you. Lord, we, uh, we thank you uh, for the attentiveness of all who are present tonight. And it wasn't what they were expecting, but Lord, I pray that uh, challenged them and, and uh, some of the questions that were asked uh, just were thought-provoking. And Lord, this is a generation that um, your, your, your word says that children are a blessing from the Lord, and it says, blessed is a man whose quiver is full. And, and arrows are what we shoot into a future that we won't see. And, and Lord, the, all these folks present are going to step into a future that Bob and I are not going to be present in. And they're going to take these truths of Scripture and apply them for future generations. And they're going to make decisions that will affect future generations. So, God, grant them wisdom. Grant them attentiveness and, and discernment to be able to do what is right. And, Lord, I thank you for bringing Bob and Liz here with us. And thank you for Pastor Mark giving us the opportunity to share with these folks tonight and Pastor Zach. And, Lord, we ask your blessing on this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.